ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵੈਲਕਮ ਟੂ ਦ ਸਿੱਖ ਹਿਸਟਰੀ ਪੋਡਕਾਸਟ ਦਿਸ ਪੋਡਕਾਸਟ ਸੀਰੀਜ਼ ਟ੍ਰਾਂਸਪੋਰਟਸ ਅਸ ਬੈਕ ਇਨਟੂ ਦ ਲਾਈਫਸ ਐਂਡ ਟਾਈਮਸ ਆਫ ਆਰ ਐਂਸੈਸਟਰਸ ਐਂਡ ਪ੍ਰੋਵਾਈਡਸ ਅ ਹਿਸਟੋਰਿਕ ਕੰਟੈਕਸਟ ਟੂ ਦ ਐਵੋਲੂਸ਼ਨ ਆਫ ਦ ਸਿੱਖ ਰਿਲੀਜੀਅਨ ਆਰ ਵੈਲਿਊਜ਼ ਆਰ ਥਾਟਸ ਆਰ ਪ੍ਰਿੰਸੀਪਲਸ ਐਂਡ ਆਰ ਐਥਿਕਸ ਥੈਟ ਬਾਈਂਡ ਅਸ ਟੁਗੇਦਰ ਐਸ ਅ ਵਰਲਡ ਵਾਈਡ ਕਮਿਊਨਿਟੀ ਇਨ ਦ ਫਰਸਟ ਪਾਰਟ ਆਫ ਦ ਸੀਰੀਜ਼ ਵੀ ਕ੍ਰੋਨਿਕਲ ਦ ਗਰੋਥ ਆਫ ਦ ਸਿੱਖ ਰਿਲੀਜੀਅਨ from the birth of its founder guru nanak in 1469 to the death of guru gobind singh in 1708 this period was one of tremendous political and social unrest in india the indian society was inherently discriminatory and oppressive towards women the poor and those who stood in opposition to the ruling classes the sikh gurus opposed such policies and sacrificed their lives to uphold the fundamental rights to equality justice freedom and religion in this episode we shall talk about the 10th and final living sikh guru guru gobind singh and his role in giving a final shape to the sikh beliefs and ethics the life of guru gobind was marked by aurangzeb's unprecedented policies of oppression against the sikhs as well as the hindus the buddhists and the jains it would be fair to characterize aurangzeb as a ruthless power hungry ruler who had an utter disregard for human rights and was also intolerant and hostile to all faiths other than Islam in such an oppressive political and social environment guru gobind played a proactive role in shaping the sikh society as we know it today he took concrete and positive steps in formulating new structures and strategies to promote the cause of the sikhs he was the architect of the khalsa the sikh society which was a model deeply rooted in the concepts of equality, freedom and justice first proposed by Guru Nanak almost 200 years before him. To set a context to Guru Gobind's life, let's recap the life of the ninth Sikh Guru, Guru Tegh Bahadur. Towards the end of 1665, Guru Tegh Bahadur had left Punjab and set out on travels to eastern India. These travels were specifically tailored with the aim of instilling confidence amongst the people. mainly Hindus who feared retribution by Aurangzeb this did not go well with the local muslim clerics and on their complaints Aurangzeb arrested Guru Tegh Bahadur favorably for the Sikhs Raja Ram Singh son of Raja Jai Singh who had earlier hosted Guru Har Krishan in Delhi a few years ago interceded and Guru Tegh Bahadur was released he continued on his journey this time traveling eastward to Mathura Banaras and eventually to Patna On December 22, 1666, Guru Tegh Bahadur's only son Gobind Rai was born in Patna. With Patna as a base, Guru Tegh Bahadur continued to travel peacefully throughout the region till about 1670. Gobind Rai spent his early childhood in Patna. Meanwhile, Aurangzeb had grown more intolerant of the Hindus and on April 8th, 1669, He issued orders to the governors of all his provinces to destroy without any mercy all schools and temples of the Hindus and in particular they were strictly instructed to put an end to the practice of idol worship under these circumstances Guru Tegh Bahadur along with Gobind Rai and the rest of his family moved to Anandpur in Punjab Gobind Rai's formal education had already begun at Patna and continued into Anandpur under the tutelage of his mother Mata Gujri and grandmother Mata Nanki who was also Guru Har Gobind's wife they were both instrumental 
in educating Gobind Rai on the principles first established by Guru Nanak, expanded by the next four Gurus and subsequently preserved by the rest. At Anandpur, he was educated in Persian by Bhai Satidas and a Muslim cleric, Kazi Pir Muhammad. Gobind Rai was also trained in Gurmukhi by Bhai Sahib Chand and in Sanskrit by Haridas. Quite like his grandfather Guru Har Gobind, young Gobind Rai possessed a keen interest in martial arts. Bajjar Singh, a Rajput warrior, was appointed to impart skills in the use of arms and horse riding, and Bhai Sangosha, the husband of Bibi Viro, imparted lessons in archery. Gobind Rai thus grew up to be an all-round man, healthy and strong, as well as enlightened and knowledgeable in Gurbani. In the meantime, Anandpur, having been built up by Guru Teg Bahadur as a center of the Sikhs, attracted talented artists, scholars, poets, etc. Anandpur was an attractive destination because it provided people not only with creative freedom, but also a respite from the gloomy environment created by the oppressive, unjust and intolerant political and social climate in the rest of India. Around this time, the hills of northern India were ruled by numerous petty kings or rajas. There were 11 princely states, Kangra, Kalur, Hindur, Sirmor, Mandi, Noorpur, Jammu, Garhwal, Guler, Jaswan, and Kullu. Today these areas lie in the northern Indian states. Around the Punjab, the more well-known were in Bilaspur, Sirmor, Nahan, and Kangra. Their kingdoms varied from a few tens of square miles to thousands of square miles. Additionally, being at a higher altitude, they enjoyed the natural protection against invasion by the Mughals or other forces. To preserve their status, most of these kings opportunistically maintained their loyalties to the Mughal Empire. In 1675, when Gobind Rai was only nine years old, Guru Teg Bahadur was arrested and imprisoned by Aurangzeb, who wanted him to convert to Islam. Guru Teg Bahadur upheld his right to freedom of religion, not only for the Sikhs, but also for all other religious sects in India, including the Hindus, the Jains and the Buddhists. On November 11, 1675, Guru Teg Bahadur was beheaded in a public execution. Guru Teg Bahadur's sacrifice was a determined gesture of not bowing to oppression in the name of religion. Bhai Jaita, a devout Sikh who was a witness to the execution of Guru Teg Bahadur, rushed to collect his severed head. He placed it in a basket and along with a few other Sikhs took it to Anandpur, where it was cremated by the young Gobindrai. Gobindrai displayed extreme fortitude at the sudden turn of events and at the age of nine assumed the guruship of the Sikhs. Aurangzeb, having proven his might, believed that the young Guru Gobind and his Sikhs were not in a position to challenge the Mughal authority. Being a shrewd politician, he also thought that the Sikhs would be caught in the cross-fighting of the hill rajas and would never be able to rise against the Mughals again. The situation was different in the Deccan, in southern India, where the Marathas were now a powerful force led by Shivaji. Earlier in the 1650s, when Shah Jahan had appointed Aurangzeb as the governor of the Deccan, Shivaji and Aurangzeb were on friendly terms. However, their relations soured in 1665. When Shivaji wanted to expand his territory to the north, he was conclusively defeated by Aurangzeb's ally, Mirza Raja Jaising. 
Just before the execution of Guru Tegh Bahadur, Aurangzeb had deployed the best of his forces to quell the Pathan uprising in Hassan Abdal. Shivaji found this as a perfect opportunity to expand his territory and won a few battles between 1675 and 1677. On his return from Hassan Abdal, Aurangzeb was involved in a battle against the Rajputs. Then, his elder son Akbar rebelled against him in 1679. To focus on these affairs, Aurangzeb temporarily moved his headquarters to Ajmer in Rajasthan. In 1679, Shivaji mounted one last attack on the Mughal forces of Aurangzeb. To deal with him, Aurangzeb moved further south to Burhanpur in central India. The Deccan became the center of his political and military activity, and Aurangzeb did not concern himself with Sikh affairs for a long time. Shivaji died in 1680, leaving his son Sambaji at the helm, who continued to fight against Aurangzeb till 1689, when he was captured and executed. On 4th April 1684, while still in Anandpur, Guru Gobind was married to Mata Jito, also known as Mata Sundri. Jito was the daughter of Bhai Ram Saran of Bijwara, near present-day Hoshiarpur in Punjab. The Sikhs were always under the danger of being attacked by the Mughal governors. The Raja of Bilaspur, Bhimchand, was not as friendly and had started interfering in the affairs of the Sikhs at Anandpur. At the invitation of the Raja of Sirmore, Midini Prakash, in 1685, Guru Gobind moved to Ponta Sahib by the river Yamuna, now in Himachal Pradesh. On July 22, 1685, Guru Gobind laid the foundation stone of the city and built a fortress. The next few years were peaceful and quiet and Guru Gobind busied himself to strengthen the Sikhs. Like his grandfather Guru Hargobind, he let it be known that he would welcome offerings in arms and horses. And more than those, he welcomed able-bodied men willing to join his crusade. Also, like Guru Hargobind, he made sure that his crusade was not wrongly interpreted as a fight against Islam. His private army also consisted of more than 500 Pathans. Guru Gobind Singh's years spent at Ponta were extraordinarily creative and significant. Personally, his eldest son Ajit Singh was born on January 26, 1687. Ponta also became the center of spiritual and cultural renaissance. Guru Gobind penned most of his compositions at Ponta and also employed 52 poets to translate various texts in Persian, Sanskrit and other languages into Punjabi. In order to accomplish this task, he asked one Pandit Raghunath to teach Sanskrit to the Sikhs. As a Brahmin, he politely declined to teach the so-called divine language to anyone who was not a Brahmin himself. So, Guru Gobind Singh sent out 13 of his scholars to Banaras to study Sanskrit and the Hindu religious texts so that they were better able to interpret Gurbani which drew some allusions to the ancient Hindu philosophy. These students later formed a separate sect known as the Nirmalas. Within a few years, the Sikhs grew in popularity, numbers and power. In about 1688, Fateh Shah, the Raja of a small kingdom of Karwal, broke a peacekeeping agreement with Medini Prakash, the Raja of Sirmor, and attacked Sirmor. In those days, Ponta Sahib was the only passage between Garwal and Sirmor, and Fateh Shah, without any provocation, 
attacked Guru Gobind at Ponta Sahib. He was also joined by the forces of 15 other small kings, including Bhimchand, the Raja of Bilaspur. And so the Battle of Bhangani was fought in 1688, about six miles from Ponta Sahib. Despite the numerical majority of the Rajput army, the six emerged victorious in a short war that lasted only about nine hours. Following the resounding defeat, Bhimchand made peace with Guru Gobind and he moved back to Anandpur in 1688. In 1690, the Rajas from the states of Guler, Jaswan, Dadwal and Jasrota stopped paying their annual tribute to Aurangzeb. As a result, Aurangzeb's governor of Lahore, Hussein Khan, mounted an attack on these states. This was a rare occasion when all the Rahil Rajas united and fought together against Hussein Khan. Bhimchand also sought the help of Guru Gobind on the pretext that they were fighting against Mughal oppression. Guru Gobind joined the war at Nadan, and the combined army was victorious. However, the Guru withdrew himself from the politics of the situation. When Aurangzeb came to know about the battle, he sent his eldest son Muazzam, also known as Bahadur Shah, to Punjab. Fearful of annoying the Mughals, the coward and selfish Rajas immediately submitted themselves to Muazzam and were again reduced to subservience of the Mughals. By 1693, Anandpur had become the de facto headquarters of the Sikhs as Amritsar was still under the occupation of the Minas. At Anandpur, large number of people came into the folds of Sikhism and many Sikhs volunteered to be part of Guru Gobind's army. This became a source of nervousness for these same hill Rajas whom the Guru had just helped three years ago against the Mughals. In 1693, they again went back to Aurangzeb and sought directions as to how to manage the Sikhs. In response, Aurangzeb issued a special order to the governor of Sirhind to prevent any assembly of the Sikhs. Accordingly, the general of Kangra, Dilawar Khan, began plotting a series of attacks on Anandpur to break the Guru's power. Between 1694 and 1696, he planned at least three attacks, but looking at the might of the Sikhs, retreated back without a fight. The hill Rajas flip-flopped on their allegiance towards Aurangzeb and Guru Gobind. In 1696, when Muazzam took control of the Punjab as a governor, these Rajas within no time aligned themselves to the Mughals again and also paid the Mughal Empire any tributes they had formerly withheld. However, Muazzam kept away from the Sikhs, primarily because he did not see them as a threat to the Mughal Empire. His belief was strengthened by the fact that Guru Gobind never claimed sovereignty over any area. Muazzam also believed that if a struggle ensued for the Mughal throne, he could manipulate Guru Gobind in his support. In 1697, the poets and bards who had been dispatched to Banaras to study Sanskrit and the Hindu scriptures came back to Anandpur. These poets later formed the nucleus of the Nirmal Panth or the Nirmalas. These Nirmalas were now accorded the responsibility of understanding and translating various ancient Sanskrit scriptures and to provide a comprehensive understanding of the metaphors employed in the Adi Granth. They also wrote various other poems, ballads and vars, most of which were composed to inspire Sikhs to stand against injustice and build a strong moral character. All along these trying times, 
Sikhs across all of India remained loyal to Guru Gobind and kept sending their voluntary contribution of the swan. Various hukamnamas from Guru Gobind attest to this, notably the ones sent to the Sikhs in Dhaka, Patna and other areas of East India. Traditional festivals such as Vesakhi, Diwali and Holi were celebrated with zest at Anandpur and Sikhs gathered in large numbers despite Aurangzeb's official policy forbidding it. Great care was taken at these gatherings to suffuse the people with Sikh philosophy. Guru Gobind gave a unique twist to the celebration of Holi and instituted the Hola Mohalla with an intention to train Sikhs in case of a fight with the Mughal army. Sikhs in Anandpur were divided into two groups. One group took up a position in the Holgar fort and dug in for defense against an impending attack by the other group. A mock battle lasted for about four to five hours and eventually the fort would be captured through various war maneuvers. Thus, each celebration at Anandpur not only infused a spirit of moral and physical courage in the cause of humanity, but also served to foster a common natural pride and a shared sense of fraternity. The Nihangs have preserved the memory of the mock battles of Hola Mohalla, which is displayed every year during the Hola Mohalla festivities at Anandpur. Despite his attention to peaceful pursuits, Guru Gobind did not lose sight of the impending danger, both from the neighboring hill kingdoms and from the Mughals. To protect Anandpur, he built five forts around the city at Holgar, Anandgar, Keshgar, Logar, and Fatehgar. All these forts were connected with an intricate pattern of underground tunnels and were completed by 1699. Also while in Anandpur, three more sons were born to Guru Gobind and Mata Sundari. Jujhar Singh was born in 1690, Zoravar Singh in 1697, and Fateh Singh in 1699. In 1699, Guru Gobind formally organized all the Sikhs as the Khalsa Brotherhood. The word Khalsa is derived from Persian. In olden times, it referred to a piece of land that was under the direct supervision and control of an emperor. According to Guru Gobind, Khalsa was a Kalpurakhi forge, or the army of the one timeless God as described in the teachings of Guru Nanak and the other Sikh Gurus. Thus, Khalsa is a sovereign entity that owes its allegiance only to God. In Sikh tradition, the word Khalsa first appears in a Hukamnama by Guru Hargobind, which refers to a Sangat as Guru Ka Khalsa or the Guru's Khalsa. It also appears in a Hukamnama by Guru Tegh Bahadur in the same sense. This was also in response to the corrupt practices of some Masans who had positioned themselves as intermediaries between the Sikhs and the Guru. The creation of the Khalsa was a direct outcome of the political, social and religious scenario played out in India during the Mughal period. Civil laws were replaced by religious laws and Aurangzeb demanded India be converted into an all-Muslim state. Even amongst Muslims, Aurangzeb was bigoted against the Shias and the Sufis and many liberal-minded Muslims were put to death including Kamir, a scholar from Sirhind. Also in 1669, the celebration of Muharram was banned and many Shia Imams were executed. It is fair to say that Guru Gobind was as fed up with the state of political, social and religious affairs under the Mughal rule as Guru Nanak was when he founded Sikhism in the 15th century. 
As a result, in 1699, he invited Sikhs from all over India to visit Anandpur during the festivities of Visakhi. He specially asked them to come with their hair unshorn. The Sikhs responded by gathering in Anandpur in large numbers. On March 29, 1699, Guru Gobind chose five Sikhs who had volunteered their lives in the service of mankind to form the five beloved ones or the Panjpyaras. These five volunteers were from all over India and from all walks of life. Dayaram, a warrior from Lahore, was the first to volunteer, followed by Dharamdas, a peasant from Hastinapur. They were followed by Himmat Rai, who was a chef from Jagannathpuri, Mokham Chand, a calico painter from Dwarka, and Sahib Chand, a barber from Bidar. These were the first five Sikhs to be initiated as Khalsa and were initiated with a serving of sweet water or Amrit prepared by Mata Sundri. To these five beloved ones, Guru Gobind gave the last name of Singh or a lion. In addition, he gave the last name of Kaur or a princess to the Sikh woman. With this one swift act, Guru Gobind permanently erased any caste differences that may have lingered on within the Sikh society of the time. In 1699, when the rest of the world was still practicing slavery and caste system, Guru Gobind declared all humans as equals. Guru Gobind declared that a quorum of five Sikhs shall mean the presence of the Guru himself. In an unprecedented move, the five beloved ones then proceeded to initiate Guru Gobind himself and he thus changed his name to Gobind Singh. Thus initiated into the Khalsa, Sikhs were required to live a virtuous life of morally responsible actions and under a discipline. For outward recognition, he prescribed long hair or kesh. Long hair had long been associated with holy men and their followers. When Guru Gobind mandated it for all Sikhs, he united them under a unique physical appearance. Guru Gobind's intention was to make the Sikh brotherhood recognizable in a large crowd and someone was not scared of standing up for justice and equality and against oppression. To upkeep the hair and instill a sense of discipline in all aspects of life, he further prescribed a kanga or a comb. A kara or a steel bangle worn by Sikhs is another article of faith prescribed at the establishment of the Khalsa. Steel is a symbol of strength and the circular shape of the kara has no beginning or end. This represents the Sikh view of God as eternal and infinite. In addition, by its presence on the wrist, it is a constant reminder for Sikhs to act righteously. The Kachera, also prescribed on the Visakhi day of 1699, are short trousers. Ever since the time of Guru Hargobind, Sikhs had been involved in quite a few battles with the Mughal forces. As a result, their battle uniform had already evolved from the inconvenient and complicated dhoti worn by most people to the Kachera, thus mandated by Guru Gobind. The fifth article of faith is the Kirpan, or a short sword worn by Sikhs. It is a symbol of the Sikhs being willing to stand up against injustice and oppression at all times. Historically, the Indian society was divided into four castes. Of these, only the Khatris had the right to bear arms. The Kirpan signified the right to bear arms and stand up against injustice and oppression. The five outward symbols taken together signify that the Sikhs, both individually and as Khalsa community, should be strong in body, 
mind and soul and develop an integrated personality. These articles of faith also made it impossible for Sikhs to conceal their identity, a virtue that inherently makes them well suited to stand up against injustice, intolerance and oppression. To say that Guru Gobind in any way deviated from the principles of Guru Nanak or the other Sikh Gurus would be a false narrative. The idea of Sikhs following a different path, true to their moral character, is found in the earliest writings of Guru Nanak. In Siri Rag, Guru Nanak said, Jin kin pal naam na visre, te jan virle sansar, or those who always remember God's name, act with a righteous conviction that sets them apart from the rest of the world. 200 years before the Sikhs were united as the Khalsa Brotherhood, Guru Nanak had also said, Joto prem khilan ka chao, sir tar tali gali meri ao, it marag pair tarije, sir dije kaan na kije. Translated, it means, if you wish to play the game of love, you should be ready to sacrifice your heart. For on this path, even the first step should mean that you will not hesitate to lay down your life to uphold righteousness and justice. Guru Gobind extended such thoughts and gave the Sikhs a very visible physical identity. The Sikhs responded enthusiastically to embrace this identity and pledged to uphold the virtues associated with it. The immediate effect of the creation of the Khalsa was that it brought the hostility of the hill kings into the open. They saw it as a threat to their own power. Ajmer Chand, the king of Bilaspur, within which Anandpur was located, was particularly against Guru Gobind. He assembled other smaller kings and launched multiple attacks on the Sikhs in Anandpur, starting in 1700. In one of these battles, the brave Bachitar Singh single-handedly fought against an intoxicated elephant who then went on a rampage against Ajmer Chand's army. Ajmer Chand had achieved little success in fighting against the Sikhs. In his desperation, he sought the assistance of the Mughal forces. The same Mughals, who had been actively persecuting him and the other hill kings and their subjects for well over a hundred years. The Mughal forces arrived in Sirhind to collaborate with Ajmer Chand against the Guru. Towards the end of 1699, the peace at Anandpur was disturbed by Wazir Khan, the Subedar of Sirhind, who made a surprise attack on Anandpur and the Sikhs had to temporarily retreat from Anandpur. Then, in 1702, Ajmer Chand bribed Sayyid Beg and Alif Khan, two eminent commanders of the Mughal army, to attack the Guru. Guru Gobind was encamped at Chamkor, and a small fight ensued. Sayyid Beg was so impressed by Guru Gobind's charismatic personality that he thought it appropriate to join him and thereafter fought along the Guru's side. Alif Khan had no choice but to retreat to Delhi. Importantly, these skirmishes also provided Ajit Singh, the eldest son of Guru Gobind, an ideal setup to learn warfare and he showed remarkable prowess in the battlefield. In 1703, at the instance of the hill kings, Aurangzeb sent a strong contingent of Mughal army to Anandpur to fight against the Guru. The intolerant Sunni advisors of Aurangzeb termed the battle as a jihad or a religious crusade against the supposed infidelity of Guru Gobind. The Mughal army led by Ramzan Khan plundered Anandpur. The gains made by Mughals were reversed when Ajit Singh, skillfully leading the Sikhs, 
pounced on the Mughal army in retreat. This upset Aurangzeb, who was still encamped in southern India. Reacting to the losses, Aurangzeb sent a personal letter to Guru Gobind, stating, There is only one emperor. Your religion and mine are the same. Come to me by all means, otherwise I shall be angry and go to you. If you come, you shall be treated as holy men are treated by monarchs. I have obtained this sovereignty from God. Be well advised and do not thwart my wishes. Guru Gobind Singh in his reply wrote, My brother, the same sovereign who has made you emperor has sent me to the world to do justice. He had commissioned you to do justice as well, but you have forgotten his mandate and practice hypocrisy. Therefore, how can I be on good terms with you who persecutes the Hindus with blind hatred? You do not recognize that people belong to God and not to the emperor, and yet you seek to destroy their religion. Soon after this, the Mughal army advanced from Ropar and attacked Anandpur. Along the way, a fierce battle took place in Kiratpur, where the Sikhs were forced to retreat into Anandpur. Thus began the siege of Anandpur by the Mughal forces. To counter the Mughal army, Guru Gobind invited help from his Sikhs. He issued several letters and urged them to reach Anandpur fully armed. Hukam Nama No. 60 was sent to Pai Mukhya and Pai Parsa, who were asked to come with cavalries, footmen, gunners and daring youths. The Sikh army was divided into six contingents. Guru Gobind placed one contingent in each fort and a detachment of 500 Sikhs was kept in reserve. Anandgarh was under Guru Gobind himself. Fatehgarh was entrusted to Uday Singh. Holgarh was in the command of Mokham Singh. Guru Gobind's eldest son Ajit Singh controlled Keshgarh and his younger son Jujhar Singh commanded Logarh. On the very first day, Ajit Singh won a major battle defeating Jagatullah, the leader of Ranghars and Gujars. It is estimated that in the first day of the battle, Wazir Khan lost more than 900 troops. In an interesting incident, one Sikh of Guru Gobind, Pai Kanaya, served water to all on the battlefield, including the armies of the Mughals. This infuriated the Sikhs, who promptly handed him over to Guru Gobind. When the Guru inquired about the alleged treachery, Pai Kanaya responded that he was merely serving humans on the battlefield and recognized no Sikh or Turk, but wounded soldiers who needed respite. Guru Gobind was immensely pleased to know that his Sikh, Pai Kanaya, had not only understood the Sikh philosophy, but was practicing it even under trying circumstances. The siege of Anandpur was conducted with great intensity and Anandpur was completely cordoned off. Wazir Khan, the Mughal commander, made an offer of safe passage if the Guru and his Sikhs left Anandpur. In December 1705, Guru Gobind evacuated Anandpur. However, breaking their promise of safe passage, the Mughals attacked the Sikhs at various places. In the process, the Guru's family was separated from each other. On December 9, 1705, his youngest sons, Fateh Singh, and Zoravar Singh were captured by the forces of Fazir Khan and cruelly put to death by burying them alive. This episode finally led to the epic battle of Chamkor. At Chamkor, Guru Gobind's army comprised of 46 who fought bravely against the Mughal army of Aurangzeb, which included a cavalry regiment of 700. 
By the end of the first day's fight, 35 of the 46, including Ajit Singh and Jujhar Singh, two eldest sons of Guru Gobind, were killed. Two of the original Panch Pyaras, Mokham Singh and Himmat Singh, were also killed in the battle. Only five Sikhs survived, Daya Singh, Dharam Singh, Man Singh, Sant Singh and Sangat Singh. They gathered in a group as Panch Pyaras, forcing the Khalsa Protocol and passed a Khalsa Resolution. In order to serve the wider interests of the Sikhs, they ordained the Guru to escape from the battlefield of Chamkor. Guru Gobind was not only a leader, but also a follower of the Khalsa Brotherhood. Guru Gobind escaped from Chamkor, and shortly thereafter, he reached Malwa and camped at Machiwara. There, he composed two letters to Aurangzeb, known as the Fatehnama and the Zafarnama. The Fatehnama contained 24 couplets in Persian, the letter is a sharp rebuke to Aurangzeb, who had built his empire through loot, plunder and hypocritical acts, so much so that he had resorted to fraud in his dealings with his father Shah Jahan. In the letter, Guru Gobind urges Aurangzeb to himself take to the battlefield instead of cowardly depending upon hired soldiers. In response to the Fateh Nama, Aurangzeb sent a standard reply that echoed his previous correspondence and claimed that the Mughal kingdom had been bestowed upon him by God. In response to Aurangzeb's oral and written exchanges to the Fatehnama, Guru Gobind wrote the second and the most famous letter titled Zafarnama, or the Epistle of Victory. The Zafarnama is written in exquisite Persian and was a defiant message addressed to Aurangzeb. Despite suffering huge losses in the battle with the Mughal forces, including the loss of his four sons and many a six, Guru Gobind felt that he had won a moral victory over Aurangzeb. The 111 verses of the Zafar Nama highlight Guru Gobind's spiritual philosophy, the unity of moral thoughts and action, as well as a deep understanding of the true nature of God and creation. The Zafar Nama is a short but powerful example of his forthright and fearless philosophy as well as of his literary and poetic genius. Daya Singh and Dharam Singh took the Zafar Nama personally to Aurangzeb, who was then camped in the Deccan. In the meantime, Guru Gobind had moved towards Khidrana, and sensing an opportunity, Wazir Khan again attacked the Sikhs. In the meantime, Guru Gobind had moved towards Khidrana, and sensing an opportunity, Wazir Khan again attacked the Sikhs. Once again, the Sikhs were outnumbered, and led by Mahan Singh and inspired by Mahakkar, fought heroically. All 40 of them were killed in the battle, but in the process, they turned the Mughal forces around and the battle came to an end. To commemorate their sacrifice, the Sikhs still remembered this band of 40 as the Chali Mukte in their Ardas. The battlefield of Khitrana is now the bustling town of Muktsar in Punjab. Pahakkar was also seriously wounded but survived. She later became a bodyguard to Guru Gobind Singh. In Sikh folklore, Bahakkar is also affectionately known as Mai Pago. Following the Battle of Muktsar, Guru Gobind retreated to Talwandi Sabo, also known as Damdama Sahib, where he was reunited with Mata Sundri. During his time at Damdama, Guru Gobind strengthened the pillars of the Sikh faith and a large number of people converted to Sikhs. The final version of the Guru Granth Sahib was recompiled here. 
Guru Gobind added the hymns of Guru Tegh Bahadur to the Adi Granth, which already comprised of the hymns of the first five Gurus. This final version of the Guru Granth Sahib has since been treated as a living Guru by the Sikhs. Shortly thereafter, Guru Gobind received a request from Aurangzeb for a personal meeting. The Akame Alamgiri, or Anecdotes of Aurangzeb, written by Inayatullah Khan, records the receipt of the Zafar Nama. It also records that Aurangzeb wanted to meet Guru Gobind and ordered Munim Khan, the Subedar of Lahore, to make suitable arrangements for Guru Gobind's travels to Ahmednagar, where he was encamped. It is not clear why Aurangzeb wanted to meet him, but on October 30, 1706, Guru Gobind left Talwandi for Ahmednagar. Aurangzeb was 88 years old by now and his health was failing. Before they could meet, Aurangzeb died on March 3, 1707. Hearing of the death of Aurangzeb, Guru Gobind aborted his travel to the Deccan and instead turned towards Delhi. A war of succession broke out between Aurangzeb's sons. According to the book Mulakat da Prasang in 1707, Bahadur Shah met with Guru Gobind in Delhi and solicited his help in gaining the throne of the Mughal Empire. It is unlikely that any help was offered by the Guru. After gaining the throne to the Mughal Empire, Bahadur Shah invited Guru Gobind to Agra. The Guru accepted the invitation in the hopes of negotiating a peace treaty between the Mughals and the Sikhs. From Agra, Guru Gobind had sent out a Hukamnama to the Sikhs of Dhaol near Bhatinda. Once again, he addressed the entire Sangat as his Khalsa and urged them to be fully armed when he met them later in the year. It is thought that Guru Gobind and Bahadur Shah had conversations regarding a wide range of subjects. Chief amongst them was putting an end to the conflicts between the Mughals and the Sikhs that had been raging for about a hundred years. Since this would inevitably cause some discontent with the hill chiefs, the Guru had wisely advised his Sikhs in Dhaol to meet him fully armed. In the meantime, Kambaksh, a brother of Bahadur Shah positioned in Hyderabad, India, rebelled against him and Bahadur Shah had to move to the south. Since the negotiations with Bahadur Shah were still in progress, Guru Gobind decided to accompany Bahadur Shah instead of immediately returning to the Punjab. Bahadur Shah was clever to recognize that the presence of Guru with him was preferable to the Mughals to his free presence in Punjab. Therefore, Bahadur Shah, under the pretext of being occupied by the rebellion, kept postponing the negotiations. In the meantime, he continued the oppressive policies of Aurangzeb directed at non-Muslims. Bahadur Shah left Agra around December 1707. Guru Gobind Singh did not start along with Bahadur Shah but joined him along with a few trusted Sikhs on April 2, 1708, perhaps at Ujjain in central India. They met briefly and then parted ways again for Guru Gobind had wanted to meet his Khalsas along the way. Bahadur Shah's court journal, Tuarik Bahadur Shahi, notes that all along the way, Guru Gobind held assemblies of Sikhs. He imparted Sikh teachings and empowered and educated the locals. In early September 1708, both met again at Nandir. Guru Gobind had utilized all of the year traveling and propagating the Sikh faith. Also, along the way, he acquired a first-hand perception of men and material 
that could be utilized in case of any fallout with Bahadur Shah. By this time, the Guru had been involved in negotiations with Bahadur Shah for almost 15 months without any outcome. At Nandir, the Guru decided to detach himself from the royal camp. He stayed at Nandir for about a month. During this time, Guru Gobind pursued activities that helped Sikhism flourish in the Deccan and the South. More importantly, the Guru commissioned one of his Sikhs, Banda Singh, to lead the Sikhs against the unjust rule of the Mughals and dispatched him to the Punjab. We will learn about Banda Singh Bahadur in a separate episode. Bahadur Shah did not take this kindly. Instead of going to Hyderabad, he conspired with two Pathans, Jamshed Khan and Ataullah. They were both hired to assassinate Guru Gobind Singh. They both paid several visits to the Guru and even attended his discourse, thus avoiding all suspicious activity. One afternoon, while the Guru was asleep, Jamshed Khan sneaked into his camp and stabbed Guru Gobind with a dagger, a little below his heart. The Guru woke up and killed Jamshed Khan with a single blow of his sword. The other six killed his companion Ataullah while he was trying to flee from the scene. Guru Gobind succumbed to his injuries on October 7, 1708. Realizing that his end was near, he gathered all his Sikhs and bestowed the next Guruship to the Guru Granth Sahib, containing the hymns from six previous Gurus. Contrary to all other assertions, Guru Gobind Singh did not compile his own writings himself, nor were they compiled into the Dasam Granth during his lifetime. The Dasam Granth, therefore, does not occupy the same spiritual status as the Guru Granth Sahib. Bestowing the Guruship to the Guru Granth Sahib was a unique event with far-reaching implications. The Guru put an end to the institution of physical Guruship by asking the Sikhs to regard the Guru Granth Sahib as their spiritual Guru. At the establishment of the Khalsa in 1699, the Guru had already surrendered his personality into the order of the Khalsa. At the Battle of Chamkor, he had to follow the orders of the Khalsa, thereby affirming the supremacy of the Khalsa. Succession now passed on to Guru Granth and the Khalsa in perpetuity. The Sikhs derived the meanings of their ideals and institutions from the Guru Granth, which also serves to regulate their actions. On October 28, 1708, Bahadur Shah ordered a dress of mourning to be presented to the son of Jamshed Khan, the assassin of Guru Gobind Singh, and who had been killed by the Guru himself. Jamshed Khan was not a high-ranking official entitled to high honors. This act of the emperor shows that Bahadur Shah was well aware of the conspiracy and Jamshed Khan enjoyed the patronage of the emperor. Compounding the agony of the Sikhs, two days later, on October 30, 1708, Bahadur Shah also offered a robe of mourning to the family of Guru Gobind. This again shows that he reserved a preferential treatment for Jamshed Khan and perhaps accorded him a status higher than that accorded to Guru Gobind Singh. The emperor's subsequent refusal to attach the property of the Guru against the will of his courtiers shows his cunning diplomacy. It was purely eyewash and a cover-up for his fraud. In this episode, we talked about the life and times of Guru Gobind Singh, the 10th Guru of the Sikhs. The life of Guru Gobind was marked by Aurangzeb's unprecedented policies of oppression against the Sikhs as well as all other sections of the Indian society who did not embrace Islam. In such an oppressive political and social environment, Guru Gobind played a proactive role in shaping the Sikh society as we know it today. 
He took concrete and positive steps in formulating new structures and strategies to promote the cause of the Sikhs. He was the architect of the Khalsa, the Sikh society, which was a model deeply rooted in the concepts of equality, freedom, and justice, first proposed by Guru Nanak almost 200 years before him. During his lifetime, Guru Gobind Singh could not free the Indian society of bondage and slavery. However, he filled the minds of his followers with love for freedom and democratic ideals. He had dispelled the fear of authority and particularly the fear of the Mughals. Guru Gobind had the satisfaction of knowing that he had sown the seeds for creating a just society against the tyranny and the atrocities of the Mughal Empire. He was sure that he was leaving behind in the Khalsa an army of brave, free, selfless and sacrificing soldiers who would support the weak and innocent and fight against oppression. This concludes the first part of our podcast series on Sikh history in which we talked about the approximately 240 years between the birth of Guru Nanak and the passing away of Guru Gobind. In the second part of Sikh history, we will explore the time between 1708, which coincided with the rise of Banda Singh Bahadur, to about 1857, which coincided with the first war of Indian independence. Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa, Vaheguru Ji Ki Fateh.